This is Robert from Nostalgic Radio Cars. Like most of you, I drive a car or a truck. Well, occasionally, I need tires or just a simple plug or patch. Well, my friends down at Just Tires is the place to go when that need arises. Give them a call at 727-585-9271. They have a convenient location right at 1645 Clearwater Largo Road. You can't miss them. So for all your tire needs, cars, trucks, trailers, new used or just a repair, give Just Tires a call. 727-585-9271. Oh, yeah, and be sure and check out their website, JustTires.net. Your Pizza Shop, located at 1200 8th Avenue Southwest in Largo, offers a great selection of personalized pizzas, pastas, and calzones, as well as delicious wings, subs, salads, and tasty desserts. Enjoy the relaxing atmosphere and scenic view overlooking Pinecrest Golf Course. Remember, for the finest pizza anywhere, takeout, delivery, or catering, call 581-1101. That's 581-1101. Or order online at yourpizzashop.com. You know, Michael, we may race different types of cars, but racing's racing. That's true. Both need a steady hand. And quick reflexes. And, well, <laughs> come on, I think my reflexes are a little more honed than yours are. What? I'm just saying. Put them up. Really? Let's see it. <laughs> I, I, was, I wasn't ready yet. Ouch. you're a really good fit here, Ron. Thanks, Michael. You're just like Napa, always working to get better. And I think as teammates, we can really help each other out. Exactly. Kind of like the way a Napa part number NBH 9187 works with an 8482. Right? The NBH 9187 isn't compatible with the 8482, Ron. Oh. Not even with a manual transmission? I can't look at you right now. All right, you guys are up. And you got to beat three. <laughs> <sighs> Oxidizes unburned hydrocarbons. Catalytic converter. Usually belt-driven at two to three times the engine's crankshaft speed. The alternator. Hey. Front coil spring. Yes, and this one, it a... Uh, Secondary air injection pump relay. <laughs> Four. <laughs> Nobody knows parts like Napa, and we've been proving it for over 80 years. Napa, get the good stuff. Hey, Ron. What? Guy walks into a bar and sits down next to a man with a dog. He says, does your dog bite? Man says, no. All of a sudden, the dog chomps on the guy's leg. Guy yells, hey, you said your dog didn't bite. The man says, that's not my dog. Get it? It wasn't his dog. Yeah. Napa, proud sponsor of Ron Caps and his funny car. Cha-Cha Muldowney, and you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Okay, listeners, welcome. You are tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and I'm your show host, Robert. Run your computers and Google Tantalk1340.com, and you can see us live here in the studio in downtown. That is sparkling downtown Clearwater. 
How you doing this evening, Cedric? Hey, man, you know, just keeping everything together. You are. You know. Yeah. Making hey, sure things don't explode. If nothing explodes, yeah. Well, so what do you think Unless of that? we want it to. No, we don't want it to. No, no, no. Okay. What do you think of the uh, Ron, Ron Cap commercial I whipped up in the seconds there? That's pretty funny. I remember well, I remember some of those. <laughs> yeah, especially the drag racing. On my, yeah. when, he, when he launched that top fuel, I mean, my ears kind of went... Cuckoo, cuckoo, there. But uh, anyway, hey, yeah, we got a super guest for you tonight. As a matter of fact, we already let the cap out of the bag. Har, 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 har. Ron Cap's going to be our guest this evening. The top fuel funny car driver. Number two in the standings. So stick around. This should be a great interview. Anyway, hey, run to our website, golfstreammotorsports.com. Don't forget to like us on Facebook. And of course, if you've missed any of our past shows, don't forget to check out our podcast, Nostalgic Radio and Cars, which is also located on our website. And you still can buy a few t-shirts and you can get yourself some decals. So go to the stuff page and you'll find some of that stuff there. And if you're a kind of a parts junkie kind of guy like me, then uh, run to my junkyard on my website because I've got tons and tons of stuff listed there. I've been kind of going through the stuff that I've been digging out of my warehouse and I got boxes and boxes and boxes and boxes of car parts. I mean, it is there's so many car parts in there, it's overwhelming. But nothing compared to where I was at this afternoon. This afternoon I had to run over to Tampa. I had to run to Odessa, then I had to run to Tampa to get some batteries. And uh, for all you guys that are big Oldsmobile fans, okay, my friend Bob Anderson, which owns the Interstate Battery uh, franchise over in Tampa, well, I knew he collected Oldsmobiles, and I knew he had a lot of Oldsmobiles. Matter of fact, I knew he had an awful lot of Oldsmobiles. But it wasn't until I went over there this afternoon, and my buddy Joe, who's also an Oldsmobile guy, but we nicknamed him Joey Zuzu because he had a Zuzu for a short period of time, or we called him Hurst Olds because he had a Hurst Olds uh, decal on his Zuzu at one point in time, but he also had a number of Oldsmobiles, including some really cool... I think he had a 442 at one point in time and then a Rally 350. So, Joe, if you got your ears on, we're talking about you. So, your ears are probably burning. But he gave me what they call the the five-cent tour, which turned into a 50-cent tour, which uh, I'll tell you what, I was absolutely amazed. I'm And I took pictures while I was over there. I'm not exactly sure how I'm going to show these things, you know, on my website, but they will be on there somehow. But just to give you a short story, he's been collecting those bills probably since the, I don't know, late 60s, early 70s. So primarily 68 to 72s, which is your typical GM intermediate. So, you know, everybody knows that, uh, you know, if you're into GM A-body muscle cars, that's Chevelles, Buick Skylarks, Cutlasses, and uh, Pontiac uh, Le Mans slash GTOs. And actually, Monte Carlos and uh, Grand Prix from 68 to 72 are also... Um, uh, A-body cars. So they're real popular. And those cars can evolve, but they're the hottest muscle car, particularly 1970. 1970 anything, which was the highest horsepower, because 71 General Motors dropped their horsepower rating a little bit, 72 Fords. Mopars, I think, dropped theirs in 72 as well. But uh, 70 was just the hot year for hot muscle cars. American-made. Good old American-made iron. But anyway, I walked in there, and these cars are from the floor to the ceiling, stacked. If they're not stacked, they're sitting on racks. But the th- interesting story was is that years ago, he used to pro- he used to have the property fenced in. Well, he was having some problem with people jumping the fences and you know liberating a few parts from time to time. So he decided to put a roof over it. Now, the cars that were in there at one point in time, the original batch of cars, when I say batches, from what I understand, there's 70, 80 cars in there. Uh, they were stacked with a forklift on top of one another. So here you have these cars that are the not-so-good cars, obviously wound up on the bottom, and a little bit better cars are up top. But anyway, so what he would do is he would sandwich you know, some timbers between them and then stack the cars on top. There were tons. And I don't know if you guys remember the days when I used to have Nostalgic Auto down in Pinellas Park on 66th Street, but I had a 14,000-square-foot warehouse chuck full of stuff. And I, it looked like Home Depot. I had so many racks in there with just tons and tons of parts. But there was a certain... Uh, 
sense of organization because I did have my stuff fairly well organized for what it was. You know, by junkyard standards, I should say, or salvage yard standards or wrecking yard standards or parts yard standards or anything like that. But this stuff here, my friend Joe has gone in there and probably in the last year and he's done an amazing job organizing this uh, place. But if you need Oldsmobile parts, 1968 to 1972, Bob Anderson at Interstate Batteries over off Bush Boulevard in Tampa is where you need to go because he has got warehouses full of this stuff. New stuff, used stuff, NOS stuff, reproduction stuff. I mean, there was hoods, doors, fenders, suspension pieces, body panels, interior pieces, dash, consoles, carpeting, you name it. It was all there. I mean, just incredible stuff. Plus some extremely rare intake manifolds, some extremely rare carburetor setups, you know, tacking gauges, which, you know, everybody wants a factory tack in a car. Just cool stuff like that. But uh, he had an amazing collection of goodies. But anyway, so that's what I kind of did this afternoon. And then, of course, I got in tra- caught in traffic on the other side of Tampa. And I was hurrying and scurrying to get through the traffic to get my happy little butt here in the studio so I could uh, present this wonderful show for you this evening. So anyway, hey, how are we doing on time there, uh, Mr. Cedric? Oh, I, heck, I don't know. Uh, Well, we got uh, the interview, which we know is about. Yeah, I know. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Yeah, we'll just... <laughs> We'll figure it out later. Well, no, if you need me to shut up and uh, go to the interview, let's let's uh, you know let's play some music, because I'm sure we've got something on the turntable, and then we'll come right back. Matter of fact, let me go ahead and just fire up the uh, jukebox turntable. We can, we can do that. I'm let's fi- play something really cool. firing it up right now. You're firing it up? It's got a crank on. Play some, some good, uh, good rock and music. Some good rock and music. we got some country stuff coming yeah, up? Yeah. Kind of country it's, rock? Yeah, it's country rock, you could say, I guess. Is it? Okay. Here it is. Got here. Let's play this, Charlie. Oh. You know this song. Uh, I'll play in a second here. Oh, Alan Jackson. Yes, yeah, old Alan Jackson. Yeah, Murphy Blues. Yeah. That's it. That's a good song. Is that the original or is that a remake? He did do a cover. Yes. Yeah, it's a, it's a cover. Okay. No, he did a good job. Yeah. He did a good job. All right. Hey, you're turning into Nostalgic Radio on Cars. Little Alan Jackson, Murphy Blues. And we'll be back in a short short with our special interview with our special guest, Ron Cap. Number two in the standings, top fuel funny car driver. Got luck, he stole her back again. She heard he had a mercury. Lord, she's crazy about a mercury. I'm gonna buy me a mercury and cruise it up and down the road. Oh, let's go. I'd go downtown by a mercury or two 
Hi, this is John Force, and you're listening listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. You do it better than me. You do it. I don't know. <laughs> I, That's almost a good promo right there, just of itself. I'm John Force, and uh, you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Hey, listeners. This is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friends, Corey, Jed, and Kurt at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 600 West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Let me tell you about my good friend William Helfrich. He's a lawyer, and a darn good one at that. He specializes in medical malpractice, social security issues, and probate. His credentials are exceptional. He is a former JAG, yes, a military lawyer, sworn to uphold the law to the highest ethical standards. For over 20 years, he was an attorney for the U.S. Department of Veteran Affairs. Give Bill a call at 727-831-5312. That's 727-831-5312. Let William Helfrich help you make informed legal choices. This is Tom Mongers McEwen. You're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars, a great program. Okay, we're back, and you're tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and it's time to introduce our special guest for the evening. And let me tell you something. This guy is fast. Not only is he fast, he's really quick, like less than four seconds quick and 1,000 feet. I'm delighted to welcome to the show tonight the NHRA Fuel Funny Car driver, Ron Caps. Ron, are you there? I am here. Thanks for having me. How are you doing? Hey, you're a fast guy. Tell us about some of the fast cars you're driving right now. You're driving this Dodge for uh, Don Schumacher Racing, and you've, uh, you're number two in the point standings. So congratulations, and how do you feel about that? Well, it's been a great season. We, uh, you know, obviously we had a, a, a really good season last year. We lost the championship actually to, to my teammate by only two points. And it came down to the very last race in Pomona. And uh, and so we started out this year, you know, with a win, the second race, and then uh, went on to win a couple more races. And, and right now, as we speak, we're involved in our, our countdown of the championship, which is a lot like the chase in NASCAR and sort of a playoff. So um, it's good to be where we're at right now in the points and just kind of be in the hunt because uh, this playoffs is only six races. And... Uh, and like like anything else, motorsports or any other playoffs, you got to be your best in the playoffs. And, and our Napa teams, they're, they're, they've been really good. Now, let me ask you this. Um, I was looking at the stats, and you're like 124, 125 points behind uh, Matt Hagen, your teammate. Does uh, and like when you race, how many points for our listeners and for me too? I mean, for when you guys race, how many points do you get per race? I mean, how does that work out mathematically? Well, you get 20 points per round win. And when you, uh, if you're going to win on a Sunday, it's a 16 car field. Unlike NASCAR, uh, there's no provisionals. You're not guaranteed to race on Sunday. You have to try to qualify. Whether you're John Force, the 15 time champ, um, or, or a rookie, you have to qualify and make the show. And, and more times than not, there's 19, 20, maybe 21 cars trying to make that 16 car show. So on Sunday, the 16 car field is set up like an elimination bracket and it's 20 points per round. So, uh, obviously, if you go four rounds, it means you're in the final round. And, uh, 
And if you can get a win, it's 100 points for that day. So you try to gather up all those little points you can and uh, and just kind of go on to the next race. Is there bonus points that you get for anything? Yeah, what NHRA has done is uh, they offer small little points that you can gain uh, each qualifying run. And then also at the end of qualifying, depending on where you're at, you get a certain amount of points for qualifying better than uh, you know the person behind you. So, you know, you add those up. They seem like they're small amount at the time. But, but really, if you have a good season, you qualify well. To answer your question, you could really gain a lot of points just in the qualifying small points. Okay, because like in NASCAR, for example, if you lead so many laps, you get points. If you're, you know, at a certain position, you know, a pole, you get so many points. So I wasn't sure how it basically works in NHRA, you know, whether, like, for example, whether they give you points for your 60-foot times or your, your, how you get out of the hole or reaction times or whatever, but they, I guess they don't, right? No, not, not in uh incrementals we do get a time slip um for a lot of your listeners listening you, you get a time slip that the crew chief can look at that breaks it down uh, it'll show my reaction time it'll show the 60 foot clock time it'll show the 330 foot clock time and then the half track which is 660 feet and then it gives you a mile per hour as well at the finish line so a crew chief can look at it and decide where his car may be lacking compared to somebody else it might be a little slower the first 60 feet and he may want to try to get that time going a little quicker so you do get those time slips but uh no you don't get any points based on any incremental numbers now these cars nowadays are really sophisticated and a lot of your car is kind of computer controlled so give us kind of a breakdown i mean maybe you can give us a comparison like the old days like when you started in the mid 90s and versus how the technologies evolved to today's cars well the cars nowadays they're set up we don't do any shifting in top fuel or the funny cars it uh there's a button under my my pedal my gas pedal and when that button is depressed it starts a, a series of timers and without getting too technical these timers basically move the throw out bearing of the clutch and as further back that throw out bearing moves the more the clutch is locking up and we have five discs and four floaters in the clutch so you're taking 10,000 horsepower if, if your listeners can imagine that's what we make between 9,500 and 10,000 horsepower so when you look at it it's one of our cylinders is probably more than a NASCAR engine so it's an incredible amount of power trying to translate down to those Goodyear tires that hook up. And it, as a driver, i got to tell you, it's incredible to be catapulted from a standing stop over six Gs and not have it lose traction. It, it's a weird feeling. that It's almost like going into hyperspace in one of those Star Wars movies. And so that just tells you how talented the crew chiefs are in our sport. So when we hit the gas, those timers start, and, and basically the crew chief that can get his clutch to lock up the soonest during the run without losing traction is probably going to be the quickest car. So it really takes a lot of strategy by a crew chief to set the timers up and uh, and, they, and he's got to make a lot of power how much testing do you do well NHRA limited the testing last few years but they opened it back up and to be honest with you we don't it's a very expensive sport to run for instance if I don't let's say it doesn't blow an engine or anything but if I make one run you're talking upwards of, of you know five or six thousand dollars to make one run and that's just the burnout make the run and that's if nothing goes wrong so um, you know, I know that everybody's complaining about gas prices across the country, but I don't know where it's at, where you live right now, but nitromethane for my top fuel funny car is $32 a gallon. So it, it is a very expensive sport. And just to sort of answer your question about the testing, I would say we maybe test uh, five or six days throughout the year. Now, when you're talking about fuel consumption there, let's just go back a second. Okay, so you're $32 a gallon. How many gallons or how much fuel do you burn going down that uh, 1320? Well, our, foot run. our fuel tank will hold about 17 gallons, and it'll burn about 16 gallons. There's not much left after the run, but depending on who you race against and how long they take to stage the car and, and so forth, it'll burn between 
15 to 17 gallons. That's mind-boggling. Yeah, you got to imagine the fuel pumps are making, well, they're putting out over 90 gallons a minute, almost 100 gallons a minute. So uh, if you'll imagine, uh, as a listener, the fuel pump is putting out so much that it'll fill up your garbage can you got outside in, uh, in half a minute. And that's a incredible amount of fuel going in that they have to burn. So you, you put a lot of fuel in there, you put it on a compression, it fires, and then that, that explosion helps produce the 9,500 or the 10,000 horsepower that we make. That's incredible. Uh, what is the PSI on the fuel pumps, if I might ask? Well, it varies, uh, and, and guys take their, their pressures off different parts of the pump, so uh, it's a lot. I mean, there's so many, there's probably, you know, there's two spark plugs per hole, but there's also jets that go into uh, the engine, not only in the cylinder, but they go in right above the supercharger, below the injector, and they also have nozzles that go in that are actually in the manifold that shoot right directly into the intake port. So there's a lot of, lot of uh, that, that fuel kind of spread out throughout different nozzles in the engine. Wow. All right, let's go back in time a little bit. What got you interested in cars? Now, I know at one point I was reading where your dad used to take you to the drag strip when you were a young child. So tell us a little bit about that and bring us to, let's say, 1995 when you got your first ride. Well, I grew up in the sport. My, my dad raced as a hobby, uh, nothing professionally, but he was, you know, grew up in Central California and he was a kind of a local track champion at the Santa Maria, California track. And uh, But we traveled to Bakersfield to the March meets and the Irwindale and Orange County and, of course, Sears Point. Yeah, so for me, uh, growing up in the sport um, and getting really to watch my heroes, whether my dad would take us when he was racing or if we just went as spectators. But, uh, you know, I grew up around it. And I, and I raced go-karts as a kid and kind of grew up really anything I can get my hands on, I would race. But uh, my dad instilled, you know, pretty early into my brain that you didn't have to always have the most money or the nicest equipment for us to race. Um but there are there ways to be fast, and and so I kind of learned that, and and uh, you know it's funny because I would watch Don Perdome and and want to be him. He was my hero growing up, like Mario Andretti was. But to get a phone call to drive for the guy uh, was amazing. So I, I I got to drive for Don for almost ten years. Uh, drove the Copenhagen uh, funny car and then the Skoll funny car, and uh, and then moved to Don Schumacher Racing, where I've been for quite a few years now with the, the Napa sponsorship. So. It, it all happened so fast, but I basically grew up as a crew member working on these cars and uh, and just waiting for my shot to drive. And when I finally got that first chance to drive, uh, it, it, uh, everything just went just right. And next thing you know, I was driving a top fuel dragster and then into a funny car. So right place at the right time is probably the best thing I could explain. Now, when you were with your dad, was your dad a pretty good wrench? Yeah, yeah. He, he worked for Chevrolet uh, as a, a mechanic, and then he ran a service department. But he worked for a Chevy dealership for 33 years. So, yeah, always around it. And he was kind of that guy in town. We had a small town we grew up in, but a lot of people that had fast cars that they had, whether they were race cars or just good muscle cars, they always came to him. He was kind of known as the guy that could uh, really fix your car up or help you go in the right direction as far as uh, making your car faster. Well, now, you're from St. Louis Obispo, so you're just south of Carmel there, north of Santa Barbara. Yeah, great place to grow up. I mean, it, it, we were very close, really dead center on the map between L.A. and San Francisco. So I could go south to some of the best racetracks, and, uh, and we can go north to uh, Laguna Seca and, of course, Sears Point um, if we wanted to watch any type of racing besides drag racing. And, and of course, drag strips then were, were all over the place. Fremont in Northern California is one of the best tracks there was. You know, we go to Pomona or Ontario or Irwindale or Orange County, or, and a lot of them are closed now. It's unfortunate, but that's just kind of the way it goes. Oh, yeah, especially like Lions down south. That was a real popular track back in the day. Yeah, I got to go there. As, I don't remember it, but I have pictures there at the last race they had. 
just an incredible historic, you know, Southern California drag strip. So your your passion in racing was more. I mean, you know, you drove go karts when you were a kid. So then, but your passion was really because of your dad, because your dad drag raced. So that's kind of why you gravitated towards drag racing, right? Yeah, yeah. I, you know, for a long time, I didn't have the money, the the wealthy parents, or the big sponsorship brand to to a ride. But racing go karts, of course, I wanted to to go into Indy cars at that time. You know, it wasn't until uh, you know I I helped a few of my dad's friends when he would go help their dragster. He sold his race car. And, Started kind of being a crew chief for different guys with, with either an alcohol dragster or, or a sportsman car that uh, they drag raced, or a on a Can Am car for years as the uh, as a mechanic before Can Am series went away. So he, I just kind of tagged along with him and became kind of a, a wrench myself, and then became a crew member. And uh, but knowing in the back of my head that I, if I ever got a shot at driving something, I, I knew that uh, I felt like I could do pretty good, and it was just it worked out that way. Now, the guy that gave you the break was, is it Prem? Is that his name? Yeah, Roger Prem had a top fuel team that he ran out of his pocket, believe it or not. Okay. Uh, the family, the Prem family, uh, Prem, Nevada, a lot of people know that at state state line, which is between California and, and Nevada. Uh, there's quite a few casinos there that, that are right at state line, and his family owned those. And then they built New York, New York years ago. So there was a few brothers, and Roger was one of the brothers, and he, he basically funded it out of his pocket. And, uh, and I was his first driver he hired. And how many cars did he field? Did you just have the one car at the time? Yeah, yeah. We didn't hit all the races. And my rookie year actually did something that very few rookies do, and that was we won a race in Seattle. So it, it was an underfunded team. It was David Goli- versus Goliath for a lot of the races. And, and we held our own for a team that was uh, you know, not sponsored and, and, uh, and at a lower budget. Um, but to be able to win a race, even say that you won a race your rookie year, let alone a car that wasn't sponsored by a big company, uh, was, was pretty phenomenal. Now, when did you get your top fuel license? Because, or for our listeners, you've got to go through class. Well, I don't want to say classes, but you got to go through like drag race school. So, if you're going to race pro stock, you got to get a license. If you're going to race uh, uh, modified, you get a license. If you're going to have to, if you're going to race top fuel, you know, alcohol, whatever. So every class requires a license. So when did you get your top fuel? slash funny car license well i didn't uh i didn't go through a school um and i'd worked on them you know i got my alcohol top alcohol dragster license basically a guy i met the staging lanes at one of the races i was a crew member on one alcohol dragster he owned another one and he knew my passion was for trying to drive down the road and he gave me a shot i named john mitchell so i, I got my license in his top alcohol dragster and I, to be honest i'd warmed up the cars in the pits and i worked on them and i just got to know every nut and bolt on a, on a dragster that I felt like I'd done it before. And that first time I got in the car, it just felt natural. And, uh, and everything just went just right. I got my license. You got to make three or four runs. You got to do them in increments. You got to go out and make just a launch. Right. You're used to the G forces come back and you can go 200 feet and then you got to shut it off and they, and they make you do it in increments. And so you got to make five or six runs with the last two being full passes. And uh, that sounds easy, but when a car is going at that time, five seconds to 250, stuff happens fast. So you really got to either, either you're going to be okay at it or you're just going to be over your head. And you and you find out pretty fast. So it weeds out the people pretty quick that, uh, that, that can't handle the speed and, and, and really the things coming at you so fast. So um, I was just lucky enough, everything went right. And, uh, and uh, next thing you know, I, was, I had my license and I was driving a top fuel dragster. Okay, and then so you're racing for Roger Prim, and then you catch the eye of Don Perdome, of all people. How did that come about that you uh, got to drive for him? And that was for a long time. That was from 96 to 2005, right? Yeah, I drove Roger's car for, for those two seasons, and uh, uh, I, I just, uh, out of the blue, I got a phone call from Don Perdome. He said he'd been watching me and watched the way I carried myself. He watched, uh, I'd gone to a final in Atlanta 
um, against some of the bigger teams. We didn't win. We lost to a McDonald's sponsored car at the time, um, who I later beat in the final of that year, my rookie year for the, the race in Seattle. But he just said he'd watch my interviews, the way I carried myself. And uh, and at that time, I'd gone to a, to uh, some of my heroes, Ed the Ace McCulloch and Connie Coletta, and some of these guys, if I had questions or advice, and, and they were sharing it. Uh, you know, a lot of these guys took a liking to me because I, I would ask for advice, and then I, I would... I would do what I, you know, what I asked, and uh, and I just kept my mouth shut and tried to go about my business. And uh, he's just said I carried myself, and he kept me kept an eye on me. And uh, so that phone call from him was bizarre to say the least, because I thought somebody was playing a practical joke on me. It's not every day you get a phone call from, uh, you know, somebody that's your hero. So yeah, it was a strange phone call. But once once uh, I got over the fact it really was Don Perdome calling me. Um, I didn't even have enough money to buy a suit. He had to send me money to buy a suit so we could fly to Connecticut to uh, see a sponsor. And uh, he wanted to put me in, in his return to the funny car division and the first funny car he was going to have since uh, the 70s. So it worked out pretty good. What an amazing opportunity to be able to drive for your childhood hero. I mean, that's just incredible. That's a good story. It really is. It, it is. It's. I tell people this all the time. It's, it's like a... If you were a kid that was so into baseball and you were a pitcher, it's like having Nolan Ryan come out and, and, and taking you over and spending every day with you teaching you how to pitch. I mean, that's what kind of feeling it was. That's great. Now, you know what? Now, the, the movie's coming out. So you got uh, the Snake and the Mongoose movie. Um, I understand. Do you have a little role in that movie? Yeah, that was, that was another really cool thing that's happened. I mean, a lot of cool stuff in my life has, uh, has happened to me. Um, you know, getting first of all, hearing that they were going to make the movie was just awesome because I, I think it's a great story on how they came about with that Mattel sponsorship and the Hot Wheels cars that, that you and I and everybody else played with when they were kids. And I've heard the story before from Mongoose and from Snake being around them, but when uh, the producer called me and asked if I wanted to be a... Uh, just The producer knew that I was a very much a historian of the sport. I've been around it all my life. So to, to get asked to even have a role in it was cool, but then to find out I'm playing... Lou Bainey, who uh, some listeners will remember, um, you know, he had the Eagle top fuel cars, what it was, but it was it was Tom the Mongoose McEwen's first ride, and he was considered a, you know, a, a Rick Hendrick in NASCAR or a Don Schumacher or John Forrest back in the day. He was a team owner that uh, had the best equipment, and uh, and so anyway, I got to play the part of him. I got some speaking roles in it, and uh, I just got to go to the premiere the other night and see it for the first time, and it's just, it turned out really good. That is great. That's cool, too. That's even a better story. Wow. <laughs> now, tell us a little bit about you left Don in 2005, and you went to DSR, Don Schumacher Racing. How did that come about? Well, um, Don, uh, we had a sponsorship with Skull. Brute Cologne was sponsoring a car for Don Schumacher, and uh, and I went to drive for Don Schumacher uh, with the Brute Cologne sponsorship, and that was for three years. Uh, and my crew chief was uh, a guy that I had as a crew chief at Don Rooms, Ed the Ace McCulloch, who was a highly decorated driver, drove top fuel and funny car, another hero of mine. And, uh, and I was reunited with him as my crew chief uh, at Don Schumacher's. And we had the Brute sponsorship for three years, and uh, and then Nap Auto Parts came on board and, and knew that Brute was leaving, and they wanted to be on uh, on the car, and it just it was another dream come true because of course Napa's you know they've always been something that's been racing related, and and so it was just a dream to have to come on board, and I've been uh, been driving the Napa cars. That's super. Now you're a wrench, okay, but you're also a driver. Now you and, and your primary job description basically is driving. Obviously, do you actually get involved with any of the mechanical end of the you know the building or anything like that during the races or you know when the cars are in the shop or anything like that? No, I did. Uh, you know, when I drove Roger Prem's top fuel dragster. I worked on it. I helped drive the rig going down the road. I was very involved. I uh, I worked on the car and. Uh, 
And then, you know, as these big sponsorship teams, the more PR stuff, the more stuff that uh, you get asked to do, the less you get to work on the car. I miss it. I, I really miss working on the car. But these teams, like Don Schumacher, they hire the most unbelievable mechanics and crew guys. Pretty much I'm in the way if I start to get in there. These gotcha. guys are so good at what they do. So I still get in there, and, and I'll help when I can. They, they like to keep me. <laughs> they see me grab a wrench, and they start yelling at me anymore. <laughs> so <laughs> unfortunately, I don't get to work on it as much. Be a spokesperson. That's what they tell you to do, right? Yeah. Yeah, they, they tell me, go here or go there, and, and uh, when it's time to get in the car, they say, put your helmet on and get in the car. So, But it's fine. It's uh, it's fun when I do get to work on it, and I pack my own parachute after every run. So oh, I, I get a little bit involved with the car. That's super. Now, your teammate, uh, Matt Hagen, and now does Don Schumacher, do they have three cars or just two? They got three cars, right? We got four funny cars, so I've four. got three teammates and funny car, and then he owns three top fuel teams with Tony Schumacher, Antron Brown, and Spencer Massey. So he's got seven teams. Wow, that's a lot. And 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 Jack Beckman, is he still racing with you guys? He is, isn't he? Yep. Uh, Matt Hagen, Jack Beckman, and Hank Bay are my three funny car teammates. Okay. Got four funny cars, you know. Now, Matt is in front of you only by like 100 and some odd points right now. And I'm just curious about this because I know they do it in some of the other races. When you've got one team, well, I should say, let's just say multiple teams, but you got all the drivers and you're close within the points, do, is, is the pressure on I mean, do they? Does the team owner let you really try, or do they tell you, "Look, Matt's leading right now, and you know, like we don't want to handicap you or anything like that, but we know he's win, he's ahead of the points." Or do they say, "Go for it, as long as either one of you guys win, that's all right with us." Is that kind of like the uh, the team spirit there? I'll tell you, the fans they'll turn on you in a heartbeat if they find out you're thrown or have a teammate let you win. And okay, they, and then rightfully so. That's part of having a multi car team, and and Don Schumacher very good about letting our teams race. There are times when myself or Tony Schumacher or somebody could have clinched a championship if one of my teammates would have let us win, and he won't allow it, which is good. We've got different sponsors he's got to deal with, and uh, you don't get one sponsor upset because maybe they had to throw a race for somebody else. And So every race, we never have to worry about any shenanigans going on with our DSR team. You know, John Forrest had an issue a couple of years ago. That very instance came up, and and he took a lot of back to the fans for it, so he doesn't have to go through that. But, uh, we make sure that we raise heads up every time. Okay, what about other cars? Uh, do you have like, are you a car collector? Are you a hobbyist or uh, uh, motorcycles, boats? Uh, what do you do for when you're not racing, for example? Well, I, uh, I've got a street rod at home, a 31 Ford Coupe built by Rory Brizio. Um, I, I don't get to drive as much as I'd like to, but uh, I drive nostalgia funny cars when I get a chance. And there's a series that uh, NHRA has called the Heritage Series. Oh, cool. Top fuel dragsters in their front motor, and I race. Uh, it's a very popular sport now with the uh, nostalgia funny cars that are, people are putting together, like the old 70s funny cars. So um, I do that a lot, and I get in the car, and I race with Tony Stewart, some guys at the Prelude of the Dream dirt race um, at Eldora, Tony's track, and I, I race a few times in California on a dirt track. And, um, and you know, once in a while, I try to get in a go-kart and do some stuff to keep, my, uh, keep in shape and keep my chops up. Okay. How about your kids? You, and I know you have your dad, and you've got some children. Are they old enough to drive? Yeah, or, I mean, my daughter's a senior in high school. She, she's she's uh, she's old enough, but she tried the junior dragster program uh, a couple times. And uh, if she wants to try drag racing, she's more than welcome to try it. But at this point, she's being a cheerleader, and I'm I'm quite all right with that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, I understand that. How about motorcycles? You know, bikes at all? Dirt bikes, uh, street bikes, anything like that? Yeah, I grew up. I grew up riding dirt bikes. I I had one up until a couple of years ago when I I just couldn't have fun riding anymore. I was so afraid I would uh, hurt myself and keep me out of my regular job. That uh, I decided to sell it. So, no more motorcycles for me. 
Well, now let me ask you this: since you do do some of the other racing and stuff like that, do you have a, does the insurance or did you have a contractual um, restrictions that you can't do certain things because you don't want to, you know, get yourself in a situation where you can't drive? No, I don't. Um, and it's in a lot of guys' contracts, but it's um, one good thing is my owner knows that I like to race other stuff, and and I think it makes me a better race car driver in what I do, getting to race in the dirt, uh, getting to race other things. That uh, you know, I, I they, I'm lucky that I have a sponsor and an owner that. Uh, allow me to go do that. Well, that's good. Now, you know, you're talking about the nostalgia drag cars that you race. You know, back in the 70s, they were experimenting. In fact, John Forrest raced one and a couple other guys did. Uh, rear engine, top fuel, funny cars. You ever driven one of those? No, nobody really runs that anymore. They did uh, Jim Dunn and some other guys that tried those. They never ran that well. And uh-huh. uh, But it was interesting interesting to see a car like that. But, uh, that, that that's the great thing about our sport of drag racing is the uh, constant battle for who can go faster in whatever way that they can try and pull it off. And so... Like the movie Funny Car Summer that came out years ago, they had Jim Dunn's very funny car, and it's, it was quite interesting to watch. Besides Don Perdome and Tom McEwen, who were some of the other guys that uh, were inspirational to you when you were growing up and, uh, you know, kind of uh, going to the, watching the sport with your dad? Well, Mario Andretti and AJ Ford, I really admired, and I, and I wanted to be something like what they were doing. Mario and, and AJ both racing NASCAR as well as the IndyCar series, so I always thought that was really cool. Um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm a student of, of motorsports in general, so I, I really love to follow everything from Formula One to Can-Am series at the time when I was a kid to uh, dirt racing, whether it was local or the guys on the Outlaw series. And so the fact that I get a chance now to go drive or I drove for Tony Stewart and the, the Chili Bowl, the famous midget dirt race uh, a couple times and getting the luxury to be able to do stuff like that has, has been cool because I grew up really loving any, any kind of motorsport. So um, to get to do it, one, for a living, two, to be able to go race other stuff with some of the best drivers in the world is something I'm pretty proud of. Yeah, you're right. Absolutely. Well, what was neat is, like, I've had Mario Andretti and Dan Gurney and some of those guys and Parnelli Jones, and it is true that they've all, the consensus is that those guys, all they wanted to do is drive. So it didn't matter whether it was an Indy car, whether it was a road race car, whether it was a sprint car, whether it was a go-kart, or maybe in some cases, a few of those guys even tried drag racing. So, you know, my hat's off to you guys. I salute everybody that likes all aspects of motorsports, you know, so there's no restrictions. But, you know, obviously you're really, really good at drag racing. Now, let me ask you this. Would you consider going into NASCAR someday if the opportunity presented itself. Would you consider racing sprint cars or late models or, or anything else or road race cars? Yeah, I would love to. You know, if it, And I got a chance to test the IROC series uh, right before uh, it went away and I was looking forward to having a chance to do that because a, a drag race had not been in it and I went and tested at Talladega and Chicagoland uh, and I've driven a, a NASCAR car a couple times. I'm just, uh, at my age nowadays, NASCAR is pulling these kids out of go-kart series and you know they're 13 and 14 years old getting signed a long-term deal so um it'd be a a foolish move to try and make a change now it'd be fun but uh i I just think i'm lucky where i'm at and uh it'd be uh it'd be kind of a a risky move to make at this point now let me ask you that that's funny you mentioned that too because you're right a lot of these kids today are actually groomed you know, as children, all the way into, you know, NASCAR or road racing or something like that. And drag racing, they actually do too, in a way, don't they? I mean, when you have the, uh, uh, what was the class you were talking about that your daughter participated in? The Junior dragsters. Right. Yeah, they're scaled down top fuel dragsters with the uh, go-kart engines on them. And yeah, it's, it's a bit, a lot of the drag racers nowadays have come out of the series. They didn't have it when I was a kid, but it's a great series. And a lot of the, some of the best drivers right now that I compete with uh, did come out of that series and work their way up from there to sportsman dragsters that you know, maybe run seven seconds and and then right on up into top fuel so 
it's a great springboard series, uh, much like, you know, you still see the, the IndyCar drivers jump into go-karts um, and just to keep themselves in shape. Um, so I, I think it's a, it is a good thing. Your um, top fuel car, right, or your funny car right now, you're running uh, 3.9 seconds, or let's just say under four, okay? When you started in 1995, it was, what, four and a half seconds is what a quarter mile was, funny cars were running back then? About that, yeah. How do the cars differ from the time you started in 1995, 1996 to today? I mean, in terms of sophistication, safety, obviously, is a big issue with you guys, I'm sure. Yeah, a lot of things have changed. It's incredible to see, um, really, when you look at uh, the technology that just in the last few years with ignition timing and bigger magnetos and, and more bigger fuel pumps and things like that. Um, and really more so the last, oh, I'd say four or five years, the safety has really gone up. Uh, unfortunately, we had to uh, to lose a couple drivers to gain some safety additions that we have now, but at least their death wasn't in vain, and it's, uh, the cars are so much safer now than they were five or six years ago. And back then, we were traveling over 300, so same speed, but uh, much safer now. I had Don Garlis on a while back, and he thought top fuel cars and funny cars are going too fast. What's your thoughts? Um, you know, I'm kind of torn. I love driving a car that is built, you know, basically it's, it's built much like the old days. Run what you brung to run as fast as you can. And then, and then I love the fact that we're trying to go as fast as we can every run with the limitations that we do have. I, I like the idea he had for a while of, of just kind of limiting the cars to slow down a little bit. Um, but to be honest, I think I would rather stay to the thousand foot like we are and, and really go all out trying to go as fast as we can, as quick as we can in that time period, rather than slowing these cars a whole bunch down just to go back to quarter mile. So that's kind of my take on it. Don Garlis is one of the probably most pro- prolific drag racers ever, one of my biggest heroes. So there's a lot of validity to what he has to say, but uh, it's, I can see both sides of what he has to say. Well, in a way, and just like you said, too, in, in drag racing, probably more so than any other racing sport, motorsport, is still pure racing. You really have no limitations. I mean, NASCAR, IndyCar has pretty much turned into kind of spec racing, you know, and, you know, even in boat racing, I see it, you know, and drag racing, just like you said, it's run what you brung. And even if they shorten it to 800 feet and try to slow the cars down, they're still going to try to get there quicker and faster. And, and I really, in my opinion, as long as it's safe, there shouldn't be any limitations on speed or uh, time. Yeah, I agree. And, uh, and there's both sides. A lot of fans don't like the thousand foot. They want to go back to quarter mile, you know, some of the, some of the older fans, but it is what it is. We're racing racetracks that were built for uh, dry race cars to go 250, and now we're going 330. So that same amount of shutdown area, it's just not possible to go 330 and slow these cars back down to zero without getting hurt. So I can see uh, some of the some of the fans, I can see their views on it, but uh, they also are, are not the ones that are strapped into these things that, uh, that we're trying to slow down the same amount of time. Have you ever driven a jet car? No, no. <laughs> no, no urge to either. <laughs> My cousin drives for uh, the Chattanooga Choo Choo and the uh, Casey Jones out of uh, Oklahoma, I think. And uh, so he's got, you know, 12, 13,000 horsepower. 
or whatever they got, you know, because they got those J4 engines or some sort of jet engine on the back. And he says it's incredible. They're not as fast as you guys, but the thrust and the push just is, I guess, exciting or exhilarating. So um, it, it never ceases to amaze me, you know, because I've been watching those since I was a kid, too, you know, at the drag steps, the exhibition runs. But I was just curious whether you'd be interested in driving one of those. But, you know, I get you're kind yeah. of spoiled, you know, with a, with a top fuel funny car, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I like having the power come from the tires and not uh, being propelled by a jet engine. Yeah, basically a missile or a bomb strapped to your back. Yeah. Well, now yeah. let me ask you this. How about uh, top fuel dragsters? Have you ever had the desire or the urge to drive those? Well, I started my career in top fuel dragster, Roger Prem's dragster. Right. Uh, and then switched to funny cars. So I, I think someday I'd like to go back to dragster. I'd like to win what are the differences? If you had to sit there and describe the sensation sitting in a funny car, because you're basically encapsuled, versus a, a dragster, which is basically an open car. Well, it's a, it's a lot different. The dragster is very long and very, you don't have to drive it much. It's very, very forgiving as far as having to move the wheel because it's so long and so flexible. The funny car, on the other hand, has the engine in front. It's only 125 inches as per, the, you know, comparing the dragster, which is a 300-inch wheelbase. Um, and a funny car just has all the weight right in the front, and, and basically you're strapped right behind the back of the dragster with nowhere to go. That's where you drive it from. So big difference. you got to drive the funny car to steer it a lot. And, uh, and conversely, the dragster, you don't, you, you don't make big movements with the steering wheel at all. Have you ever had any, let's just say, a, a close call, you know, with something happened with the engine let go or something like that while you're in the funny car, and what goes through your mind and what happened? Oh, yeah, I've had lots of close calls. If you get on and, uh, and Google me on YouTube, you'll find quite a few incidents. But, but you know, again, the safety comes into effect where I've been blown up and on fire and all kinds of stuff. But, uh, but the safety really has been, uh, you know, I feel safer in that car even when I'm in trouble or on fire than I do driving down the highway. Do you ever have concerns about the guy you're racing? No, not really. When a guy gets his license or a girl, for that matter, you got to uh, you got to be signed off by two other drivers. That's the other thing about getting your license and moving up uh, to top classes like this. So, um, if there is an issue, then we'll, they'll run by themselves with nobody next to them a few times to make sure and before people get next to uh, to run up next to them. But when your peers have to sign your license off, it's pretty much it, it weeds out anybody you, you need to worry about. Who is your fiercest competitor? Who do you, like, if you had to go door handle to door handle with somebody, who is it? Well, in drag racing, it's probably John Force. Okay. Uh, lately, the last few years, he hasn't been the John Force of old when I came in as a rookie that I battled with. But he's still uh, John Force, and he still finds a way to win, and he's probably pound for pound still uh, the guy that I want to race against and I fear the most competitive-wise, but I also get up for him the most. So that's uh, probably the, my answer, John Force. Let me ask you this, and this this is just, uh, you know, your opinion, but you're in your 40s, someone like John's in his 60s, reaction times, uh, age and reflexes, uh, will some of the older drivers, I mean, will they tell you that, you know, they're not as, you know, they start slowing down when they get to a certain point, or what's, uh, what, what no, goes on? I, as long as your reactions are good in drag racing, you're going to be okay. Okay. You have to react on the tree, of course, and, and if you if they slip so bad that you're not competitive, uh, then most likely they're going to retire. John is as good as he's ever been, and he tries hard at that. Um, and I think as long as you stay in shape and you can adhere to the, the six Gs that we, we put on, and you can wake up the next day and do it again, and you have the fire to compete, then uh, there's no reason to get out of the seat. Going back to some of the incidences that you have had in your car, you know, it's close call, so to speak. The next time you get in a drag car, is fear on your mind? 
No, no. It uh, you go through your head of things if, if it goes supposed to do. But uh, I personally don't. I don't have that in mind. If I do, it'd be it wouldn't be much fun. Uh, you 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 know what's gonna what could happen, what's gonna happen, but uh, I don't go into it thinking about the the fear part of it. No. Okay. Some of the tracks around the country. What are some of your favorite tracks? What are some of the tracks you really don't get excited about? Well, I, I, there's quite a few that, that get me excited when I'm coming up on the schedule for either because I've won there in the past or we've done well. And Northern California is good. It's sort of a home track to me, and my family's always there at that race. And I've won there a lot as well. And there's just certain places we seem to go do well at. Is that um, is he talking about Sears Point? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so Sonoma is probably the highest. That's probably my most favorite track to go to. Okay. Worst track. Worst track. I, I don't know if I have a worst track. Well, all right. Let's put it. Let's put it like this. You know, a track in terms of I don't like this track because it's got like English Town, short shutdown lane. You know, I mean, uh, changing grades, crappy surfaces, middle of nowhere. You know, uh, or maybe mile high in Denver or something like that because the conditions. Yeah, those are some, mile high is a great track. They've all got their some of the tracks that, that really need to be fixed up. Uh, Phoenix just got bought, and it's finally going to be a, a track where they're going to fix it and really have make it up to par with uh, because you know we go to some of these tracks and the, the, the concrete or the asphalt is so old uh, they don't fix it up, and yet we still go to their their, their race tracks. Um, so Phoenix was like that for a while. Yet I won there a lot too, so it it, it wasn't like I didn't like the place. Um, I'm not even sure if I I can think of one that I really don't like. I, maybe it's Maybe it's some place that I haven't, <laughs> I haven't won or done well at. Um, but to be honest with you, I mean, nowadays they're, they're all doing their best job to fix the tracks up for us. All right. How about if I put, rephrase this question? How about if I say one of the more challenging tracks? Does that sound better? Yeah, well, I'm, that's a good question. I, I would say, uh, boy, that's a good question, too. I, I, and, and, I, I and, don't know. And what makes the tracks different? Tell us a little bit about why you would prefer one track over another. You know, talk about surfaces. You reference Phoenix, for example. Yeah, you know, a lot it's, of its surface and how uh, how how well the track lane to lane. You don't want a one lane racetrack where everybody's going to win if they have the certain lane. Um, that's not good for the fans. So, um, what attributes to that? Say, well, a lot of it's just older concrete. Some okay. of the tracks built nowadays by Bruton Smith are all concrete. Uh, or mostly concrete and new flat surfaces, uh, things like that that really make it so that the crew chief can kind of throw everything at it if he wants to. Okay. Now i got to ask you this one. Since we're in Florida, what about Gainesville? Yeah, I love Gainesville. That's uh, one of the, you know, the most historic tracks we go to, and I finally got the win there. Actually, we got, I think I won back-to-back, but that was a place I didn't think I did well at, and I, I wasn't real fond of it because I didn't think it liked me as much, but uh, it made me earn everything, and we finally got the win there a few years ago, and that was that, that trophy's right up in the middle of my mantle. Well, that's good. Congratulations. Now, what's in the yeah. future for Ron Caps? Well, I mean, obviously, when I retire, I'd love to stay in the sport and be a team owner and, and either put somebody or my son, you know, in a, in a car. Uh, but I want to stay involved in the sport. I, I love the sport. It's, uh, it's made me who I am, and I, I, I'm proud to be part of NHRA. And, you know, even coming up with the grassroots part of it, uh, you got to remember NHRA is the largest motorsport in the world as far as members. And so I, I, I would like to stay in the sport. I, I think I got a lot of driving left in me and I have a lot of competitive years left. So it's a good question. Hopefully I'm around the sport no matter what I'm doing. Well, that's good. When you get to Gainesville, look me up. I'd like to come up there and see you run. You got it, man. Now your son, you just brought that up. I forgot to ask you about him. How old is he and uh, what are his ambitions? Uh, he's 12 and he's uh, he's unlike me at 12. When I was 12, I would jump at anything I could get in and build my own go-kart. He's uh, kids nowadays, you know, I don't live out where I grew up where I had room to go ride a motorcycle 
and uh, unfortunately, uh, he hasn't, hasn't been able to go motorcycle riding like I did when I was a kid. So kids nowadays are a little different. I've offered him up to go junior dragster racing, and I bought him a go-kart. We've gone out a few times. So he, he's still at that point where he, does, he doesn't know if he, uh, if he wants to take on racing full-time or not yet. Well, that's good. Just let him kind of go at his own pace. You know, they're kids. Yeah. That's cool. That's what I hear. Well, Ron, I want to thank you very much for taking a few minutes to kind of hang out with us here at uh, Nostalgic Radio and Cars. And uh, I wish you the best of luck, a lot of success in your racing career, and I hope you win. You know, obviously I want the whole DSR team to win and do very well, but, and I know Matt's your your teammate, but you know, you need to win. Yep, I agree. We're going to do our best. Hey, Ron, again, I want to thank you very much for taking the time out. I wish you the best of luck. Drive safely. Have a great time. And like I said, when you get the floor Look me up. You got it, man. Thanks right. again. Thank you. Bye bye. Okay. Great interview. Wow, I'll tell you what, that really was a good interview. Anyway, hey, look, I want to tell everybody keep tuning into Nostalgic Radio Run Cars. We're going to have some fantastic guests coming up in the future. Don't forget, now the Superboat races are coming up here at the end of the month. So we're going to have a couple of guys on from uh, the Superboat racing teams. We'll probably have Scotty Begovich from the uh, Biscayco boat. I'm probably going to have uh, some of the guys from the Steel boat. They did a very good job out there. Bob Teague might be back on the show. Martin Sanborn might be back on the show. So we'll be talking about a lot of boat racing. Don't forget, that is at the end of the month, okay? And also at the end of the month, okay, on the 28th, is a huge concert, a really good concert of Ruth Eckert Hall, Jeff Beck, and Brian Wilson. Yeah, now, I saw that. Now that is kind of Jeff Beck and Brian Wilson. That's got, that ought to be an interesting concert. Just two different types of music right there, really. Two different styles. So yeah. that ought to be cool. So it'll draw a different crowd. And then also on the 22nd, if you guys can make it out to Napa, California, the Doobie Brothers has their annual fall festival out there at the uh, Bruce Cone Winery out there. And Bruce Cone is the manager for the uh, Doobie Brothers. He's been on a show uh, once. He's coming back again. He's going to tell us about all the cool cars he's working on. Matter of fact, he's moving to Idaho. Last I talked to him, and he's opening up a, uh, with, uh, is it Pat Simmons? Is that the lead guitarist? Yeah, Patrick for? Simmons. Patrick Simmons, yeah. Him and uh, Pat are really, really good buddies. And and Pat Simmons, we're trying to get him on the show. He is a huge motorcycle guy, really into vintage motorcycles. So I'm trying to get him on the show. But anyway, those two guys are going to open up a classic motorcycle slash car uh, antique uh, dealership up there in Idaho. So I wish him the best of luck. And obviously, we want to have Bruce on the show and talk about that a little bit. And hopefully, he'll help us... Uh, get Pat on. We're also working on, uh, let's see, who else we got coming on? Oh, we've got Alan DeCadenay. We got an interview with him. If you remember him, he used to be a really, really uh, well-known driver. Raced uh, foreign cars, GT cars. He also had his own TV show, Renaissance Man, and uh, Victory by Design on the former Speed Channel. Uh, he did that. And then we've got Bob Varsha's coming back on. He's going to tell us, uh, he's going to give us some updates on uh, what's going on in racing in Formula One. Uh, we've got a really good interview coming on with uh, Vic Elford. Vic Elford used to race out of the 60s and 70s. Amazing gentleman. Started out in rallies. Probably one of the best racers in GT ever. I mean, when I say ever, you know, I mean, you had Dan Gurney, you had, uh, you know, Sterling Moss, and you had a lot of great GT drivers. But some of these drivers, like Vic Elford, had just had amazing, unbelievable skills. I mean, even David Hobbs and uh, Brian Revan, who, who have both been on our show, have said the guy just mastered racing. In fact, we'll probably be talking about Targa Florio because the Targa Florio was the race that used to take place in Sicily, and it was an amazing racetrack. And it's just all curvy roads. It's countryside. It's through little towns amazing stuff but with his his skills that he learned and and rally driving super super car control which really when you're road racing car control is really what it's all about it just made him one of the fastest drivers on a road course in fact that's where he got his nickname quick vic but anyway looks like we're just about out of time we got what about a minute or so left there Cedric? yes sir okay so stick around tell all your friends tune into nostalgic radio and cars every week or fascinating and legendary names in motorsports at least that's what it says on our website and uh, we'll see some of the car shows. Don't forget to check us out on our Facebook page. Give us a big like on Facebook. 
Okay, and I want everybody to stay safe, drive carefully, love your families, and like I said, take your cars out once in a while and beat on them. In yeah. fact, don't forget, every Wednesday night down at uh, Showtime Speedway is testing tune night. So if you want to go out and take your car out there and run well, the eighth mile, well, have just, fun. Just park it there and rev it up. Pretty well, no, that's actually an eighth mile track, and oh. they actually race out there. In fact, on weekends now they got rounding round races and drag races. So Showtime, our friends down there, uh, Robert Yoho and them. Big shout out to them and uh, Cop Cars Online. And don't forget, Rip Shack Barbecue, downtown Largo. Super, super, super barbecue. Man, I'll tell you what, you can't even get one in the East Bay and the other in the West Bay, and it smells so good. You got to go see those guys. Don't forget our friends over at Your Pizza Shop. If you want a really good pizza, they're over there right across from Taylor Park off 8th Avenue South. Meantime, everybody, take care. Again, drive safely, love your family, and uh, be here next week, 7 o'clock. Telling tales out of school, but there's a fella in there who'll pay you $10 if you sing into his can. Downtown Dave. I'm not here to make a record, you junk cracker. You broadcast me out on the radio. WTAN, Clearwater, Tampa Bay. WDCF, Dade City, Tampa Bay. WZHR, Zephyr Hills, Tampa Bay. Listen. You junk cracker.